everybody. Welcome to episode 168 of the Man of Screen podcast. This is it. The end. We are reaching the end of season one of Superboy. After 13 episodes of coverage, 26 television episodes covered, this is it. The end of season one, the end of John Hings Newton's run as Superboy. The last two episodes before the show gets massively retooled going into season two. And I'm going to cover the episodes Succubus and Luthor Unleashed. I mean, this feels like pretty much uh, the end of a long road because, look, there's no secret. The first season of Superboy is definitely of a lower quality than the episodes that will come later. I speak glowingly at this point about seasons three and four. I don't know yet about what season two has to offer. I have never seen it, at least not that I recall. But this is the end of the first era of the, of this show and over my coverage of Superboy. And I'm a quarter way through the show. Actually, probably a little bit more than a quarter, maybe a smidge more than a quarter because, yeah, actually, it definitely is. I will reach the quarter mark between episodes this week because there are only 100 episodes in the series. So before I get to the business of completing my coverage of season one, I have feedback to address. This feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 157, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. For me, The Beast and Beauty was a bit of a disappointment. I usually enjoy a good imposter story, but this one wasn't all that good. I think, especially in a visual medium like television, the imposter should best be played by the same actor as the original character as George Reeves did in The Face and the Voice, or at the very least by an actor with a very strong facial resemblance to the character. I guess I didn't have the budget here to do the special effects necessary to sell the imposter to the audience, or they just expected the audience to accept that Superboy's face was not immediately recognizable to the general public in the story. But, by the way, you wonder why they didn't use the normal order for this one, called The Beauty and the Beast, wondering if that title was taken by someone. It's actually not possible to copyright the title of a book, song, movie, or television episode because titles are not considered creative works. Maybe they just want it to be different. I thought the fixer was better if only for the presence of Lex Luthor, although Lex doesn't yet have the stature he should have as Superboy's archenemy. I think fixing college basketball games is a bit beneath the greatest criminal mind of our time, but he has to start somewhere, I suppose. It's kind of amusing from a 2020 perspective that... The leverage Lex has overstretched its photos, photos of him smoking pot, but I guess for a college athlete in 1988, that could have been a big deal. Lex also seems to be hedging his bets pretty strongly, paying off Moose, who, as you might expect from someone called Moose, is not very subtle in his throwing the game, and, uh, and the referee on top of his blackmailing stretch. As Superboy taking over for the ref, I realize it's not within the rules, but it is fun and warmed my Silver Rage heart. Live long and prosper, Dave. As always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I'm going to get right into uh, Dave's comments right here. Uh, Dave's uh, first comment was about the Beast and Beauty episode, and uh, when she said the episode was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, it's, not, it's a disappointment because it's uh, not very good. You know, and uh, Dave would have liked to have seen uh, the imposter playing the uh, same actor as the original character, but I don't think that would have worked in this situation. And really, for a character like Superman, I don't necessarily believe you need to have him resemble the hero exactly one of the things i've always believed about it the character of superboy or superman for that matter and this is a comment that was actually given life on the big on on the small screen by the star girl show where pat dugan's character says he wore the outfit with the stripes could 
because that's what took people's attention. People don't see him. They see the uniform. And I think really the case, one, this is very early in Superboy's career. So maybe his face is not as well known as it might be later on. But when people see Superboy or Superman or any version of that character or even any superhero, they're not looking at his face. They're seeing the big ass and the cape. And I don't necessarily think people who don't know him well would recognize his face right away because all the other things about him are much more obvious, like the costume and the cape. So, and this guy whose name I'm forgetting uh, looked enough like him that they could get away with it. And if the character looked exactly like Superboy, it wouldn't have worked with his girlfriend, the beauty queen, recognizing him. So this story wouldn't have worked if this, if John Hayes Newton did both roles. Let's just uh, put that there. And yeah, as in my musing about the Beauty and the Beast title, yeah, that is true. It is not possible to copyright the title of a book, song, movie, or television episode because titles are not considered creative works. But then there are how things were used, which is important too because, I mean, right up until maybe 14 or so years ago, DC was still calling Captain Marvel Captain Marvel, but they couldn't use Captain Marvel in the word in the title of a book because it was owned by Marvel. So there are titles and words that can be trademarked. Like names, I don't think, can be trademarked either. The whole copyright law and trademark law is very confusing. And I don't think anybody really truly understands it. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on from that to the next episode, The Fixer, which, yeah, it's a bit better. But I do say, you know, Lex has to start somewhere. And uh, Lex is going to, we're going to see Lex graduate to a new level in the second episode that I cover, Luthor Unleashed, this week. Yes, the uh, leverage of uh, Stretch Smoking Pot is a little dated for 2020 when we're basically on the verge of uh, legalizing marijuana use. And uh, Lex, you know, Lex hedging his bets pretty strongly by paying off Moose uh, and the referee. You know, that is definitely something I can see Lex Luthor doing, hedging his bets, to me, covering all his angles to make sure he wins and having contingency plans on top of contingency plans to make sure that his uh, what he gets what he wants. Now, his reference uh, to Moose, who, as we might expect, someone called Moose is not very subtle. You know, the guys that I'd normally call Moose are usually some uh, big, uh, big burly guy. I don't know if you actually watched the episode, Dave, but Moose in this episode was a, you know, athletic looking black guy. Not the, uh, you know, when I think of a guy named Moose, I'm thinking of like a big burly offensive lineman type guy. Not a, not the team, not the basketball team's shooting guard. And as, as far as super, uh, Boy, take it on for the ref. Yeah, I can see how it warmed your Silver Rage uh, heart. But, you know, like I did with the baseball game in that other episode, and as someone who's covered sports for the majority of his journalism career, seeing that kind of thing just jumps out and takes me right out because of my knowledge of how things would work ordinarily in the real world. Some parts of the brain you just can't turn off. But what I am going to do is I'm going to turn off this feedback segment, take a podcast promo, and then when I come back, I'm going to talk about the penultimate episode of season one of Superboy, Succubus. Hang around, folks. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994, or 1944, or maybe 2994. Time is under threat, and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis, and how will history be changed for those that do? 
Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm going to start things off with Succubus, episode 25 of season one. Original broadcast date was May 20th, 1989. This episode was directed by David Nutter, and it was written by Carrie Bates. Guest cast included Sybil Danning as Pamela Dare and the Succubus, TJ Kelly as the executive, Rita Wren as Professor Myers, Lee Stevens as Simon, and Tanya Roberts as the college student. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The beautiful author Pamela Dare turns up in town as part of her book tour, and we quickly find out that there is more to her than just a simple author. As she arrives, a male fan is looking for an autograph. More spear bomb. Uh, uh, my wife, well, well, she's one of your biggest fans, and, and I was wondering, could you sign this for her? My pleasure, Morris. Just give me a moment. Sorry. Oh, no, no problem. So much more peaceful here. Uh, yes, uh, Elaine, would you make it out to Elaine? That takes care of Elaine. Now then, Morris. I wonder, would you do a favor for me? What? Sure. Be afraid. and proceeds to drain all the life from his body, making him an old man. Lana and TJ are ready to interview Pamela, and when she turns up, she and TJ take a shine to each other. TJ leaves with Pamela to continue the photo shoot at what she calls her family home. They share a kiss, and she tells TJ that she needs him to prove that he knows Superboy. Superboy is playing a charity baseball game against himself at all nine positions. Pamela and TJ watch from the stands, and Pamela seems mesmerized. Pamela is doing a talk about her book that Lana and Clark are attending. TJ introduces her to them, and she takes an instant shine to Clark. Pamela. Pamela Dare. Clark Kent. What a pleasure this is, Clark, to be finally meeting you in the flesh. It's, it's my pleasure, for sure, Miss um, Dare, uh, to meet you. Trevor's told me so much about you. I feel as if I've met you before. Uh, oh. Mr. White. Hey there, Professor Myers. I didn't see you taking any notes. Or maybe you figure that the Schuster Herald has no use for Pamela's kind of writing? I'm going to ignore that remark, Mr. White. You're in enough trouble as it is. I expect the prints you owe me on my desk tomorrow morning. Then you and I are going to have a little talk. Clark later tells Lana that Pamela wanted him to go home with her. Pamela stands in the hallway of Clark and TJ's dorm room in a red dress with a mystical white light shining from behind her. She walks to Clark's door, and, see, and TJ sees her walk straight through the door and into Clark's room. TJ hides outside the room, watching the door. Pamela begins to try to put some spell on Clark while he's sleeping, but it, it doesn't work if you're not afraid, she exclaims, and then disappears. TJ is in the press room, and seems very angry as he approaches Clark. Clark gets up and turns around, at which point TJ punches him. Meanwhile, Lana heads to Pamela's house to confront her about what she's doing to Clark and TJ. 
What you did to my friends was really low. What are you talking about? TJ, you dumped him and then you turned him and Clark against each other. What if I told you I have plans for Trevor and your Clark? I'm warning you. Leave them alone. I wish I could. Is that all you want? For me to leave them alone? Now you're going to find out what I want. Pamela grabs her by the hair and takes her into another room, while at the same time, TJ is picked up by Pamela's driver and taken to her. Pamela tells her driver, I have had better days, Simon. I know, I know. Don't dwell in the past. Look ahead. Only ahead. I trust you've made our guests comfortable. Extraordinary creature could be my salvation. If he is as potent as we believe, I may never have to feed again. Then, only then will all this have been worth it. After all this time, you'd think I'd know how to say goodbye. I'll make sure you linger, Simon. Just long enough. But first, I need your adrenaline. I need to make you afraid. You, I am going to miss. Suddenly, she grabs her driver and drains the life from him, once again turning him into an old man. She sends him to find Clark to tell him what's happening and where to find TJ and Lana. Superboy arrives at Pamela's house. I've always loved that portrait. I posed for it the same year this house was built. What would you say if I told you the artist and I were introduced at Andrew Jackson's inaugural ball? Andrew Jackson? I'd say you were very well preserved. I'll take that as a compliment. I suppose this artist ended up the same way Simon did, huh? Simon was nothing unique. All men wither and die, Superboy. It's nature's way. When I feed on a victim, I merely accelerate the process a bit. That's really sick. So tell me, what sort of creature stays young by stealing the youth of others? A succubus. And you're right, Superboy. It is a sickness. Sickness that brings with it a curse of immortality. How long have you been like this? For so long, the answer is beyond remembering. And what I do remember is in my books. The slaves that built the pyramids in ancient Egypt all worshipped me. Pirate ships sailed the high seas of the 16th century searching for treasure to appease me. I was a secret lover Napoleon surrendered to long before he fell at Waterloo. Now you know the secret of Pamela Dare's success. She doesn't write novels. She writes memoirs. The lives of my heroines all belong to me. You destroyed how many others to lead those lives? My books dwell in the past. I look to the future. That was me in your room the other night, Superboy. My magic made you think it was a dream. What do you want from me? Don't you know, Superboy? I want you.
However, she can only take his power if he's afraid, and so she shows him Lana and TJ in death traps and kisses him. Superboy manages to pull away and save TJ and Lana, while Pamela is reeling from the power she took from Superboy. She gets younger and younger, but the problem is she's not stopping as the power was too much. Pamela gets younger until she's a small baby and then turns into a crystalline-type entity. Superboy leaves and Clark turns up while the police are taking away the crystals, which suddenly start to glow. All right, so this episode has Superboy up against uh, a vampire-like creature, except instead of uh, sucking blood from people to uh, feed herself, she uh, sucks out their life force or takes their, I guess the best way I can put it is kind of take their years away, I guess, uh, by uh, sucking the youth out of people. They, uh, She becomes younger. This is a topic that this show will tackle again in a better episode and Lois and Clark does this too in a different way with somebody wanting to stay young by sapping the youth from others I, the uh I want to say the Superboy episode is a season four episode called Metamorphosis in which a guy uses alchemy to suck the youth out of uh others and uh into him into himself and uh the Lois and Clark episode is a season four episode uh, called Brutal Youth. It's actually the episode that uh, leads to uh, Lois and Clark getting their house. So if that episode contributed anything to the series, it did that. That and it's uh, and a guest appearance by uh, Jack Larson as an older Jimmy Olsen. But that's coverage for another time. So, so this character is doing it basically through, I guess, magic, I guess. She has some kind of magical powers that she feeds... Uh, her power feeds on fear, and if people aren't afraid, she can't suck their youth out, I guess. And I don't know. I guess it's true. Fear really does take years off your life. So anyway, uh, this episode starts with an old-fashioned car kind of pulling up to a bit of an old-fashioned place. And uh, this show is taking a very long time to reveal who uh, this person is walking in. That's working, that's walking into this ornate hotel. So we get a shot of her legs. And, so, th I mean, this episode goes a long way to... Uh, Revealing uh, Sybil, uh, Sybil Danning as uh, Pamela Dare. You know, Danning is known for her uh, being tall, leggy, and statuesque. So you could definitely see why uh, the show kind of took its time to uh, introduce her. She'd been around a long time at that point. Uh, her career started in 1968, and uh, the credits kind of got a little few and far between uh, after this. This show kind of caught her on. Uh, on the decline uh, as she got older. So here's a Simon who uh, he wants a copy of uh, Pamela's uh, book signed for his wife. And uh, she asks for him for a favor. And uh, she basically puts his hands to her, her hands to his face and basically uh, sucks the life out of him. And uh, when she's done, he's an old man just laying in this chair. So yikes. Now the animation of the magic was, at least I think it's magic, was very cartoony and kind of what you've come to expect in the show. Her hands just kind of, glow into this washed out light and next thing you know uh simon's an old man and pamela dare looks a little bit younger now apparently uh she puts a spell on tj and uh, this is the point where we learn that tj's name is trevor jenkins white the third yikes i mean there is definitely no rule that you know something the third has to be the uh directly descended i mean the show pretty much establishes that T.J. White is Perry White's son. So, but, I mean, I mean, man, T.J.'s name could have been Thomas James White, for all we know. You know, Trevor Jenkins White III seems like a long way to, 
to go just to uh, reveal TJ's full name. But I guess you don't wait 25 episodes to find out what TJ's actual name is to uh, for his name just to be uh, Thomas James. But I don't think you really needed to put the uh, the Roman numeral at the end here. I think Trevor Jenkins White would have been enough. I don't think you needed a Trevor Jenkins White the Third. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Miss Dare here is a romance writer, and she's uh, reading the book very provocatively, and uh, that's making Clark very uncomfortable. You know, you know how Clark is. So apparently, TJ has something going on here with the author, and he's uh, coming back to the dorm late and leaving early. And uh, the next time we see TJ, he's uh, taking a pictorial of uh, Pamela Dare, and. It's easy to tell TJ is uh, smitten with our romance author here, and she's uh, planting a kiss on him, but doesn't suck the life out of him just yet. But just from the way everything is framed, and you could you could tell that uh, she's putting some kind of spell on him, and she's very formal with him. I don't know. I just I can't get used to TJ being called Trevor of all things. So eventually, we find out what she really wants. As soon as TJ mentioned being a friend of Superboy, she was all about that. And now she wants TJ to prove it. So, the next time we see Superboy, he is participating in a one-man baseball game to raise money for charity. Just what you need. You need a Superboy on the mound. He is uh, at the plate. He is running the bases. He's playing the outfield. Lois and Clark does a cold opening like this early in the first season. Uh, Requiem for a Superhero, I believe I believe it is. The, uh, the episode where he goes up against the uh, cyborg boxers. I think it's like the fourth or fifth episode of season one. Very early Lois and Clark, but when they were still experimenting with that with that kind of stuff, which stopped at the end of season one. So anyway, he pitches and hits what we think is a home run off of himself, but then he leaps and catches it. You know, someone should tell Superboy that if he doesn't he doesn't get to score the home run if he catches the ball. I mean, we know he ran all the bases because you, after he hits the ball off of himself, I assume he threw it at regular human speed. You saw him run the bases at super speed before he ran out and caught his own fly ball with by going high in the air to catch it. I mean, it's almost exactly the way the same thing plays out in uh, that Lois and Clark cold open uh, about four or five, about four years later. So now Dare is giving a talk, and Clark is the only one not smiling. Uh, Lana is smiling politely, and uh, TJ is still giving that love struck, doughy eyed smile that he's uh, been giving Pamela that old episode. Remember, she's uh, put a spell on him. But now uh, Dare is grabbing Clark by the arm, and he's walking her away, and TJ's uh, not happy about this. Uh, and this is exactly what Pamela Dare is. Uh, this is what she wants. She wants to make TJ jealous, and uh, she wants to pit TJ up against his friends. I mean, I'm also pretty sure she senses the power within Clark because once she gets a hold of Clark, she dumps TJ flat out. And this kind of makes me think that she knows that Clark is Superboy. And uh, also, we uh, go back to uh, the Schuster Herald. Uh, that woman I misidentified a couple of episodes ago as Dean Lockhart is apparently uh, Professor Myers. She finally has a name. I think that was that was the episode uh, with the uh, androids, War of the Species. I had called her Dean Lockhart. She is apparently Professor Myers. So now she has a name. I don't know that we're going to see her again after this, but I guess we'll find out. So now Dare is going to Clark's dorm room, and she's awash in some kind of light, and she's wielding some kind of power. And, as some guy who's just shaving... Uh, just kind of falls unconscious, you know. Maybe he's dead, maybe not. I guess she is, truly is, drop-dead gorgeous. And uh, TJ sees her, and she's looking around, but he's trying to get a feeling of what's going on here. She, She's looking around, and he ducks behind a doorway, and he doesn't want her to see him. And then she just 
phases through the dorm room door and into Clark's room, which is also TJ's room. So, you know, Clark and TJ are roommates. So this is uh, getting pretty awkward now. So I can't tell what's going on here, if this is really happening or if it's a dream. She's not in the shot when we see Clark, but then she disappears. Just it's interesting the way they staged this. I mean, maybe just because of the visual effect, they can't have Clark in the shot at the, at the same time for effects reasons. But we never see Dare and Clark in the shot together. So uh, the next day, uh, Professor Myers is mad and TJ, because TJ blew off an assignment. So uh, TJ is too, and he slams something down and walks away. TJ is all hot and bothered over Dare. You know, it's unclear. He must still be under some kind of spell because now he go, he's going to go over to Clark and TJ is just staring at Clark and up there and then punches him right in the face here. You know, it seemed like that punch was coming the whole episode and I was waiting for it. And uh, here it is. And uh, that seemed to hurt TJ a little bit. He kind of shook his fist afterward. And uh, Clark was aware enough to throw himself over the desk. He probably oversold the punch from TJ, but he doesn't want his friend to uh, cripple himself. There's whenever I see somebody punch, you know, Clark Kent or Superman and he rolls with it. It always brings me back to uh, a panel in Batman during the death in the family uh, story arc in the late, around this time, maybe a year or so before. Have to be careful and make sure I say death in the family and not death of the family as they are two separate storylines. But there's a, a scene where after Robin is killed, Batman punches Superman who rolls with it and Batman's holding his fist and Batman says something to the effect of he thinks he broke every bone in his hand and Superman says, you're lucky I rolled with the punch or else you might have crippled yourself. So whenever somebody punches Clark or Superman, I always think of that. So after the fight, Lana goes and visits our author friend here. And Lana is taking her to task for turning Clark and TJ on each other. And you know what? This is all Lana. She is uh, going to defend her two friends and she does not want them fighting. It's like uh, like a mother uh, keeping the boy children from tearing each other apart. But she's kind of ordering this older woman author away from her two friends. Like I said, quite the mother hen. And uh, that's all Lana wants. She wants her to leave them alone, but all she gets is her hair pulled and some nasty uh, talk from Dare. So TJ keeps walking somewhere. It's like he's in a daze when he's picked up by Dare's old-fashioned vehicle. And it looks like he was starting to come out of her spell, but that's unclear. He's shaking his head a little bit. The only thing that was clear was how angry he looked. So at the end, we get our... Uh, we're not at the end yet, but... Now that she's got all the all of the pieces in place, and uh, we learned that Dare needs to feed on the youth of people to make herself young, and she wasn't able to do anything to Clark because he wasn't afraid. So now she's basically going to uh, manipulate things so that Clark becomes afraid. And uh, TJ's side of the room now is all stripped bare, and Lana is gone as well. And uh, here is Simon. It's unclear how Clark knows Simon, but he does. And as soon as He's laid down on Clark's bed. Simon starts glowing. I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means he's dead or what, but he glowed. But either way, Superboy reads the note and flew over to Dare's mansion. And uh, this is where we learn that, at least at first, we're going to learn more later on, that Dare had apparently been around since at least Andrew Jackson's time. So that puts, uh, that's the early 1800s, 1820-ish, I think. So that's at least 160 years before this. But... This is where we learn that she is a succubus. And apparently she is under she's been stricken with some kind of curse. And she's at least as old as the pyramids. But she's not willing to die because she keeps sucking the youth out of people. So she's more like a, a sucker youth. She's sucking the youth right out. So and that she does reveal that she made uh, her entrance to Clark's dorm room seem like a dream. So 
it wasn't exactly a dream, but she wanted him to think that it was. Okay. So that's that. And uh, TJ and Lana are both bait for Superboy. And uh, she's going to kill him unless she he gives up his youth to them. Okay. I think at this point we know how all that's going to go. So, and now she can actually take her youth away because he's afraid and she plants one right on the kisser. And is this is what's going to suck the life out of Superboy? Well, guess what? It doesn't. And you didn't really think it would, did you? Apparently she, she did get something out of Superboy, though, as she's feeling good, but not good enough. As Superboy kind of pushes her away and uh, he saves Lana and TJ. He gets Lana out of what I think was a guillotine. And I liked how the rescue of uh, how TJ was saved was staged. It looks as though he gets hit with the trapdoor with the spikes. But we see that when Superboy pushes the uh, little trapdoor down, he's in front of it. So he took the front, the brunt of the blow and TJ did not. So that was a pretty well choreographed shot there. And meanwhile, uh, Madam Succubus here is still glowing. And apparently trying to suck the life out of Superboy was too much. And she's kind of stuck in some kind of weird the aging feedback loop where she must have taken out so much power out of Superboy that she ages backwards into crystals, which of course uh, makes Superboy feel guilty for having thought he killed her all of uh, all that work. And she's now a pile of uh, little gemstones, but you know, Lana reminds him that it wasn't his fault. And apparently that was a power beyond anything that they've ever seen before. Lana is, is reunited with her two fr- with her friends and I like how she took Clark's hand and put it in TJ's to get them to shake and uh, kind of bury the hatchet a little bit. I mean, yeah, maybe TJ showed some jealousy, but I think the jealousy he showed was what Dare wanted him to show. She wanted to drive a wedge between TJ and Clark to uh, advance her own goals. But before the episode ends, the uh, dead succubus glows, and I guess that's meant to tease that sh- she could come back, but I doubt we're going to see her again. I Barely wanted to see her once. So, I mean, this episode was okay. I mean, I could do without the Clark and TJ drama over a woman who appears to be at least twice their age. And it's cheapened by it all being a spell. But Lana is uh, forever the peacemaker. She is clearly the best actor out of everybody. So it's easy to see why Heidek got to stay when wholesale changes were made to the show after season one. Literally, when this show goes into season two, Stacey Heidek is the last person standing. From season one. But season two is for next week. We still got one more episode to go. And I'm going to take a quick break. Play a podcast promo. And then I'll come back to finish season one of Superboy with Luthor Unleashed. Hang around, folks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. And I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. And every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this off with Luthor Unleashed, episode 26 of season one. It is the season finale. Original broadcast date was May 27th, 1989. 
It was directed by David Nutter and written by Stephen Lord. Guest cast included Scott Wells as Lex Luthor, Michael Mano as Leo, Roger Preto as Harris, Rance Howard as the Colonel, Steve Howard as the Guard, Larry Francer as Felix, and Paul Cohn as Oswald. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lex and Leo break into a military base and a top-secret lab. They are dressed in army fatigues with a sonic gun so they can steal a prototype weapon, the Thermotron 14. This is a heat-seeking laser which they can sell to a weapons dealer to make money. Clark and TJ are called to help in with the investigation of the theft. They were wearing ROTC uniforms. Schuster University is the only school in this area with an ROTC program. Major uh, TJ White, Clark Kent, the two students I mentioned, the ones who could help us. Uh, I sure hope so. This uh, gun that was taken, exactly what is it? The Thermaton 14 is a heat-seeking laser weapon and can be handled like a rifle. It's calibrated to seek out body temperature. You can kill a man at a thousand yards by just pointing it in his direction. Very scary. No pictures, please. No. This project has not been cleared for publication. Yeah, I'll make sure that doesn't happen again, Major. Mm. I told the Major you'd do some investigating on campus. Anything you can come up with, we'll appreciate it. Yeah, well, we'll give it a try, Lieutenant. Um, Lieutenant Harris, I, I was just going to say, well, just because they had ROTC uniforms on doesn't mean they had to be students. From the evidence on hand, that seems to be our best bet. Uh, how about going in that direction for now? Like right now? <laughs> uh, there's only one student I know who could possibly do something like this. Lex? Luther, man. Well, he didn't even belong to ROTC. Oh, you think a little detail like that's going to get in his way? Come on. <laughs> guess not. Lex is in the chemistry lab, working on an experiment and talking to Leo about who they're going to sell the weapon to. It seems that the cops and army brass were on their way in to identify some crooks who uh, made off with some army equipment. <laughs> What's happened to patriotism in this country, Leo? It's a sad commentary when even the army is no longer sacred. Oh, you're right, Lex. It's a sad commentary. Have you contacted our clients yet? Um, yeah, all three of the organizations. One's ready to deal right now, but the other two have to wait for some higher authority. Is that a fact? Well, I'm a patient man, right, Leo? That's right, Lex. No one could ever accuse you of impatience. So why don't we just deal with the one who's ready now? Because, Leo, the front of the game is not just the profit, it's the delight in watching them bid against each other and their joy of observing their anxieties. Their terror of failing to acquire what they've been ordered to acquire. <laughs> Electric, isn't it? <laughs> That's sound thinking, Lex. Sound thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's this all about? Entrepreneurship. Foresight. Chemical warfare, Leo. One must think ahead. Lex doesn't pay attention to what he's doing, and there is an explosion of chemicals. Clark sees what's going on from below, changes into Superboy, and flies to where Lex is. There is chemical gas everywhere, and Superboy blows this away from Lex and out the window. He then grabs Lex and flies him to safety, where Lana makes sure he's all right. This is where we begin to see a change in Lex. It seems that the niceness of Lana has had a positive effect on Lex, and he begins to shower her with gifts, and he seems happy to be alive. Clark and TJ warn Lana about Lex. Oh, I love it. I love it. All these red roses are for Lana. Lex is a nice 
nice guy, don't you, Felix? This is for you, Lana. Thank you, Leo. Grab that one. From Felix? From, uh, guess who? Gee, I wonder, considering who the messenger is. I knew you would act like this, but I just expect a little bit more from you, Clark. To a very gracious woman from a very grateful man. Bring that one over Lex. Here. I see it, I hear it, but I do not believe it. Why are you guys such downers? Lex is trying so hard to be nice. You think he's trying hard? I think he's convincing her he is. And would you stop referring to me like I'm not here? What are you so angry about? I'm not angry. I mean, can't you give anyone the benefit of the doubt? Lana, here, read my lips. We're talking about Lex Luthor. Hello. You'll excuse me. I'm gonna go put the flowers in some water. Okay. If you run short, there's a reservoir a couple miles down. But she seems to think he has changed for the better and agrees to go on a date with him. In the morning after the date, Lex wakes up and heads to the bathroom. It's then that we see that he's totally bald. He goes crazy, screaming and blaming Superboy for it. Guys, about the Thermoton 14. I told you, Leo. Wow, that's really rad, man. But don't you think it's going a little bit too far with Punk? I did this to me. He knew there was titanium and phosphorus in the lab. You're gonna pay for this, Superboy. You're gonna pay. Is hatred for Superboy greater than ever? Lex goes to find Lana and give her a message for Superboy. Lana. Uh, hi, Lex. Could you spare me a few moments in private? Of course. Oh, Schuster! Lana, I need a favor. If you would grant it. Consider it granted. Isn't it a bit warm to be wearing a hat? Uh, Lex, why did you shave your head? Shave and bald. Alex. Made bald by your friend, Superboy. He would not do that. Deliberately blew those chemicals through my hair. Killing the follicles. You're not being reasonable, Lex. Damn right I'm not being reasonable. Would you be reasonable if somebody deliberately stole your hair? On purpose? On purpose? Well, why would he do that? He hates me. You all hate me. No, Lex, you're wrong. Don't you ever tell me I'm wrong. Gave me. You all hate me. You ah! two obnoxious friends gave me because I'm smart. Oh, now about that favor I want. You tell Mr. Save Humanity Superboy that if he wants the Thermotron 14 to be at Wilson's Meadow tomorrow morning. Got it? And give him this. Never mind. It's all I've got. She heads back to the dorm to find TJ and Clark and... Lieutenant Harris called. Want to know if you contacted Superboy yet? Mm, not yet. But I got a message in the pipeline. 
So, Lana, how did your, uh, your date go last night? Lux hit me. He did what? He didn't hurt me. And I was so sure that he had, well, changed. Now I know why I'm a romantic washout. You had the belt a woman to turn her on. Why did he hit you? Well, see, she looks like his mother. He totally freaked out. Suddenly, he's gone bald. Bald? As in no hair, bald? How do you go bald overnight? I don't know. He blames Superboy for it. Some wild nonsense about him doing it to him deliberately. I'm really confused here. I mean, just yesterday he was thanking Superboy for saving his life. I know. Oh, he also has a message for Superboy. Well, tell me what it is. I'll, I'll try to pass it on to him. Bald. Off Clark goes to tell Superboy. Lex is in the field along with three men. He says he will sell the Thermotron 14 to the first one who kills Superboy. Superboy arrives and Lex uses the sonic gun to give the three assassins an advantage. One by one they fight Superboy and one by one they are defeated. During the struggle, Lex manages to escape and Superboy recovers the Thermotron 14. Lex and Leo are in a ring of people dressed as monks. Let us, little brother. Let us pray for the day that we may do unto Superboy as Superboy is done unto us. <laughs> All right, finally, it took us 26 episodes to finally get a proper Lex Luthor storyline, you know, one that's not stupid, and we finally get to see some comics-accurate stuff. They show us a lab accident, Superboy blowing out a fire, Lex going bald, him blaming Superboy, all comic book stuff. And where has this show been all season? This is episode 26 of season one, and this is probably the best episode of the season. Lex is finally doing something that has scope and stakes, and it's more than just fixing basketball games or doing whatever it is he was doing in Kryptonite Kills, which I don't remember, or stealing a jewel from an archaeological find. This is comic book Lex Luthor here. Beautiful. Been looking forward to this the whole time. So the episode starts with Lex and Leo invading a military base with Lex holding an advanced weapon. Again, here's what Lex Luthor should be doing. And here is uh, Rance Howard, who has been ancient for as long as I've ever seen him on television. He's uh, the father of Ron Howard, you know, of Happy Days fame, uh, directed movies like The Grinch, Solo, others. So so Lex and Leo pull off the theft. The next question I, uh, I'm asking is, why is Harris investigating this? This doesn't seem like something the local PD would be dealing with. And this seems to be something the military police should be handling and not uh, not Harris, not the local uh, police. And since they uh, suspect that students committed the crime because they were wearing ROTC uniforms, Clark and TJ are brought in because somebody from Schuster is suspected. Clark immediately suspects Lex because, of course, he does. Now, I don't know what happened, uh, what was going on with Scott Wells at the time. I mean, just looking up his IMDb, he uh, he died uh, about five years ago from a stroke, and he left L.A. in 1998 to enroll in uh, a drug and alcohol recovery program. So maybe he, even at this time, maybe he was battling uh, drugs and alcohol because he looks different here. His hair is longer, at least longer than I recall it being, as he's got a bit of a ponytail here, and he looks like he lost some weight in his face. He looks kind of sickly, so... 
And maybe that explains Wells' uh, extended absence as Lex Luthor. I don't think we've seen him since Kryptonite Kills. I really don't want to say anything definitive without knowing, but maybe there was a reason for Lex Luthor being out for so long. I really don't want to speculate beyond that. But Leo is impatient, and he uh, you know, he kind of wants to go with the buyer that's ready to buy. That makes sense. But, you know, uh, Lex wants to drag this out and uh, have the bidders bid against each other. I mean, three buyer, three bidders is better than one. Why settle for less when you can get more? You know, pretty probably the uh, that's good business sense, right? If you have a product, well, legal or illegal, why try to sell it to one when you can uh, try to sell it to three and drive up the price? Make more money for yourself. And uh, Luthor is doing some uh, science in his life. I'm not entirely sure what he's doing, but uh, Clark wants to interview Lex because he feels that it's an injustice to uh, that they are accusing Lex of doing this without proof. I mean, again, the show is not clear with what's going on in this lab, or maybe I just missed it. But Lex lab, Lex's lab is now on fire after an accident, and uh, I got excited when Lex's lab got on fire. Normally, that's not something that excites you, but I'm like, oh. For those of us who remember those Silver Age comics, Lex Luthor's hatred of Superboy comes from a fire in his lab that when Superboy blows it out, the chemicals spill on his hair, on his head, and it causes him to lose his hair. And so I see this fire, I'm like, oh, wait wait a minute. Is uh, this what I think it is? And uh, Superboy flies up to Luthor's dorm room and is uh, blowing out the flames, saving Lex. So as he pulls Luthor out of his dorm room, he makes a smart-ass remark about Luthor playing with unstable chemicals. But there is no... uh, effect just yet and after superboy drops uh lex down on the brinks lex to the ground lana is showing some compassion for him because lex is coughing and uh he seems shocked that superboy saved him you know that's kind of how lex luthor thinks he if he wouldn't do something then nobody else would either superboy is his enemy so he wouldn't think superboy would save him and lex seems very moved by his rescue and the episode goes a long way to making it seem genuine and maybe it is, you know, Clark is dubious of Lana's helpfulness toward Lex. And I'm kind of dubious as well. But but TJ points out that, you know, she knows who Lex really is. And then I'm kind of wondering, does she? I mean, I can remember in the fixer, the episode where she was, uh, you know, she was making fun of Lex uh, when he fell into the pond along with everybody else. I mean, he was only in four episodes. And yes, the Kryptonite Kills episode, he did have a plot going and, uh, she didn't like Lex very much in that episode, but I don't really remember her involvement in the uh, the criminal plot. It's not without going back and watching the episode again, but I kind of wonder if Lex, if she really does know who Lex really is. I mean, obviously Clark and TJ would tell her stuff, but I don't know if she witnesses anything firsthand. She probably did, and she probably should, but you know, she's being compassionate at the very least. So now the army uh, wants Superboy and uh, to help out uh, because uh, things are screwy. First, they go to the local cop. Now they want Superboy. Is there no military police? Can the U.S. military not do anything on their own here? So now here is Lex uh, showering gifts. TJ thinks Lex is uh, putting on an act, and uh, they think he's overdoing it. TJ and Clark are not buying it and uh, pissing Lana off in the process. And again, I'll mention this before, and I'll mention it again. I'll probably mention it throughout the entire run of this show. Nothing will ever happen with Clark and Lana. But anytime somebody looks at Lana, Clark is upset. So, but the clues are here that something is going to happen to Lex's hair because he keeps scratching at his head. And the knowledgeable viewer will know that there's going to be some baldness soon because he's itching at his head. But Lex is acting differently even toward Leo. So, and it seems as though he's not going through with his plan now that Superboy has saved his life. So, 
it doesn't seem as though he's putting on an act here. Because if he was putting on an act, he wouldn't be putting it on in front of Leo. If he was still planning on going through with his criminal activity, he'd be acting the same way toward Leo as he always does. And uh, next time we see Lana's dorm room, it sure, it sure will have a lot of flowers. So, you know, to me, uh, Lex is overdoing it. And he's still uh, pushing at his hair. So Clark and TJ uh, show up at Lex's dorm room to ask about the theft. And the whole uh, ROTC unit is under suspicion. And I thought they were going to trip up Leo here, but he doesn't take the bait. Normally, uh, Leo's tongue gets loose and he starts wagging it because he's not that smart. But um, eventually, uh, Leo just throws them out. And But he does reveal that Lex is out on a date with Lana, which I think he got a kick out of that. I think he liked uh, giving that crap to Clark saying, you know what? Yeah, she's out with Lana. Isn't that who you like? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And it's probably the most intelligent Leo has ever shown. So the next morning, we see Lex getting out of bed angrily and he gets the mirror, and he is uh, bald, and he blames Superboy for it. And uh, here we go. He's bald, and Superboy is to blame. You know what? Obviously, it's not Superboy's fault. If he had been screwing around in the lab with unstable chemicals, uh, he wouldn't need a rescue it. But so now Lex is trying to kill Superboy because it cost him his hair. <sighs> you know, I could think of a million reasons why Lex Luthor can hate Superboy, or Superman for that matter. His being bald is not one of them. I mean, for the one episode in which John Shea and Lois and Clark is bald, it's a vanity thing. The uh, the regeneration from being dead made his hair fall out. And instead of losing his hair naturally, he tells her to shave it off. So that I liked. But here, I just... Lex Luthor going crazy because he's uh, bald is uh, you know not something that appeals to me. I just don't buy that Lex would be this pissed off over his hair. And to be honest, I think Scott Wells looks pretty good bald. I think he looks better bald than he did with that hair that he had in the beginning of the episode. But he's definitely gone over the edge. And uh, then he goes to meet Lana with his really bad wig on. And uh, eventually uh, she sees that Lex reveals to her that he's bald. And you know what? I half expected Lana to laugh at him because that's another impetus uh, for Lex Luthor hating Superboy. Because people laughed at him when they saw that he was bald. But I'm glad she didn't. Again. I thought he looked good bald. So, and a bit of comedy with relation to baldness. When uh, TJ finds out that Lex went bald, uh, he's uh, checking his own hair and all of a sudden becoming very self-conscious. With uh, TJ's hair, I'd hope, for, I'd hope for baldness as well. And now in his anger, he does, even before Lana goes back to Clark and TJ, he smacks Lana. And, I mean, that is horrible. And, you, you know, no man should ever hit a woman. But you know what I did like about this? I like that Lana smacked him back. That she is not taking this crap from him. And to Lex, that's probably got to be worse than uh, going bald, being smacked by uh, by a girl. But I like Feisty Lana, who, you know, doesn't take Lex's crap. And uh, she does point out that, uh, you know, Lex didn't hurt her. But you know what? She's not feeling sorry for herself over it either because, you know what? She took care of herself, you know. So now that he's bald, Lex is becoming the man of many bad wigs. And again, I'm going to reiterate, he looks better bald. And uh, now he's got these uh, three guys competing to kill Superboy, and uh, the winner gets to uh, buy the formula. I don't know what that's going to do for uh, the bidding war, but it seems like whoever's, uh, if they're the only competition left, whoever wins is going to name their own price. So Lex, for some reason, looks like he's dressed like a colonial. And here's uh, Lex's uh, sonic weapon here that he's going to use to uh, aid his uh, three assassins. So Lex is crazed now, and Scott Wells is pulling this off very well. You know, I wish we'd seen more of this Luthor and then what we saw in his other three appearances where he was just smarmy and 
shady. He's finally evil. And uh, maybe that's a result of his hair loss, but I don't know. This is the Lex Luthor I definitely wanted to see. Now, apparently, uh, this device is uh, draining Superboy's powers, and uh, in the process, Lex has killed one of his assassins. Uh, I guess that's one potential customer down. So he re- Superboy recovers enough to grab Luthor's weapon and take out the other two guys, and uh, then Lex finds another super weapon. looks like a giant uh, rocket launcher. Then Leo grabbed the weapon, which can only, this can only lead to bad things. And um, with Leo grabbing the weapon, I thought perhaps this was what's going to lead to Luthor having to be recast, but it does not. And they just kind of get away and disappear. And after the assassins are dealt with, all of a sudden Lex Luthor's a monk. What the? Where'd these guys come from? I mean, it's just these monks are just way out of left field. And uh, as they're all praying, uh, Lex is vowing his revenge on Superboy. I'm like, okay, uh, the episode took a bit of a left turn there at the end, almost as if it kind of ran out of time and realized it had to stop. And I don't know why Leo and Lex are dressed like monks. Maybe it's a way to hide because I guess they're fugitives now. So they can't go back to Schuster. So aside from the swerve at the end, this was a good episode. You know, Lex blaming Superboy for his hair loss doesn't hold up, but I wonder if that whole Lex blaming Superboy is because Superboy made that snide remark when he rescued him. But of course, Lex would never blame himself. And it was nice to see the show being comics accurate and having Superboy involved in Lex's baldness. And there is one thing that sticks out in this episode is TJ makes a rather insensitive joke when after Lana is uh, telling he and Clark about Lex having hit her, TJ says, makes a joke about belting a woman to turn her on, which that kind of remark definitely has no place in 2020. Probably shouldn't have had any place in 1989 either, but it is what it is, I guess. Probably not appropriate in either time period, but I felt like I needed to just call that out here, even if it was only for a second. But despite that, this was probably the strongest episode of the season. It took 26 episodes to finally get it right, as that is the end of season one. Next time, we head into season two with all of the changes that brings, and the episodes with this ring IV kill and Lex Luthor sentenced to death. Until then... Want to leave feedback? It's always welcome. Man of screen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, they're original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man Screen Podcast.